Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is with us live via telephone. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is a prolific author. In fact, he's the man responsible. I have to remind the audience about this. Those of you who've enjoyed the 650-page book entitled The Rebetzin, the story of Rebetzin Esther Jungreis, her life, her vision, her legacy, that's the, that's the product of the work of Rabbi Nachman Seltzer. We did not discuss the book with him at the time that it came out. Uh, because we had Rabbi, we had Rebetzin Jungreis's uh, relatives on to discuss her life, you may recall. Already, Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is out with another book <laughs> on the heels of that incredible bestseller. He and the folks at Shar Press, everybody at Art Scroll, uh, have re- released a brand new one. It's called "Our Man in Jerusalem: Amazing Stories from Rabbi Yisrael Gellis, Journalist, Radio Personality, and Tenth Generation Yerushalmi." Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is the author of 35 books, including the Class Act uh, series, the I Have an Amazing Story for You series, um, 48, the Runaway Bestsellers, Incredible and Incredible 2, the much-hailed Zara Shimshon series. He's columnist from Odia's Indian Magazine with his true life stories beloved around the world. He's producer of Visions, an album of all English songs, the film The Edge, co-producer of The Story Experience. He's a popular speaker internationally, and you can check out his website, RabbiNachmanSeltzer.com. The book is called Our Man in Jerusalem. Rabbi Seltzer, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. It's a pleasure to be back. I mean, <laughs> to, to say you're working on one book after another may not be an apt description. That, that may not be fair for the system that you've implemented in terms of writing and releasing books. Baruch Hashem. What can I say? And this, by the way, which I discovered, I literally got the book last night, so you'll excuse me if I didn't read every page, but I did get through hundreds of them. Um, uh, th- this book is an inspiration, both both practically and, I guess would, one would say, you know, uh, philosophically, from the work you did about the life of Rebbets and Jungreis. Tell us about that. So I... They sent me to. I met with Rabbi Gertzelin and his and his wife, the Rebbe's daughter, right. in the Ramada, and that was the beginning of the project. After Rabbi Zlatowitz reached out to me, and they we made the shidduch, and they were here for Yachikala, because Rabbi Gertzelin was VP of Agudas Israel for many many years. He ran big man at Agudas Israel, so I'm sitting with them at the Ramada, and uh, you know. They, they gave me a whole list of people that I needed to speak to in Eretz Yisrael before I flew into America to, to, to do the interviews. And uh, one of these people is Rabbi Saul Gallus, right? And so Saul Gallus is a I, – I actually met him a few times. I did not remember it. The years it was years before. And I come into his house. He lives in, in Ezra's Torah. Right? You shall me, sweet you shall me, your top floor of Ezra's Torah building, simple apartment, and – I'm sitting with this person, I'm talking to him, and he's telling me the most incredible stories about Rabbit and Young Rice. And you have a view out of his window of Yushalayim, like unbelievable, remote, you know, really just an amazing situation going on. And I'm thinking to myself, as he's talking, I'm thinking, this man, I come, I'm coming here to interview him for, about Rabbit and Young Rice, but this man, he has his own book. So you're the ones who alerted the publisher that you've got a new book in, in the making. It was. I, I'll tell you what I mean. I, as I'm leaving the house, so I, I, I said to him, listen, i got to tell you, you are a book. 
There's no way. There's, there's so much to say about Yerushalayim and things that nobody knows, neighbors that, like, things, I'll give you two examples of what I mean, but before I tell you this, like he, I said to him, I want to do, I want to write a book with you. And he says to me, uh, let me show you something. And he opens up his closet. Right, okay. What, this, I, I, know, what? I know this story you're about to tell, but I got to ask you. No, no, one bat. second, one second. Hold on to that story for a second, because I want to ask you first. Was his, yeah. re- was his relationship with Robinson Youngrice a, a practical one, where he literally, I don't know, helped her with speaking engagements? 40 years. He, he was her right-hand man in Israel. That's it. So it, was, so it wasn't just that they had that there were great mices together, but it was it was that he actually helped her uh, bring Hineidi to Israel and, and bring her, her lectures and presentations to Israel. His father was in charge of the Torani Tarbut section of Yushalayim, of the Iriyad Yushalayim, the municipality. And Rabbi, Rabbi Gellis, he convinced his father that he should give this lady a chance. So Miguel's father was like, who is this lady coming from America to speak in Israel? Right. Nobody does that. Right. But he said, this lady, is you got to give this lady a chance. And they booked their events. And his father got a kick out of booking Beta Am for this from lady to speak to people who thought she was a singer. And <laughs> developed through this 40, 40-year-old relationship where he took her around the country, flew with her in helicopter to army bases, he really was a right-hand manager. He told his stories about going around in the middle of the night, putting up posters and, and the cops stopping them and how the Robinson convinced the cops to, like, you know, put the, help her put up the posters. It's just crazy stuff. <laughs> Unbelievable. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is with us. The book is called Our Man in Jerusalem. Okay, so before you decide to, to say there's going to be a book for sure, tell us the story. Go ahead. So, okay, so I'm standing in the entrance of his house, and he pulls out this little ticky-rushalim, little rectangular, little, little backpack, but it's like a little square backpack that you could carry. And he says to me, hold it in your hand. I said, hold it. It's heavy. He says, what do you think's in here? I say, it feels like rock. He says, he opens it up. He says, one rock, he says, one stone. And he pulls out this round stone. And he says, do you know what this is? And I say, I do not. He says, this is a rock that the Romans shot, catapult. You know, we always grew up hearing about the catapults. The Romans shot yep. stones at the walls of the Mikdash. Right. Right? This is the stone that the Romans shot at the wall of the Mikdash. <laughs> I'm like, Abisral, how on earth do you have a stone from the base of Mikdash? Can you imagine us? Imagine you are, you meet a guy and he pulls out a stone from the base of Mikdash and you're holding 2,000 years of history in your hand. And by the way, not only does he have it, it's authenticated. Go ahead. It's authenticated. So I say, how do you have this? He says, I'll tell you. After 1967, Teddy Kalak, the mayor of gave a lot of money to the archaeologists to do digging around the walls. Right. And they uncover many of these rocks. But most of them were broken because they hit the base of the English wall and they cracked. Right. But this one was, was full. So they was, it was complete. It wasn't broken. And they wanted to give Teddy Kalak a present. So they gave him this rock, this stone, and a special stand to put it on. And they brought it to him in his office. And it was authenticated. Now, one day, Teddy Kalak calls and he saw Rabbi Saul's father. And he says to him, Rabbi Yaakov, he says, you're the only Haredi guy I like. So I want to give this to you. I'm a, I'm a guy who gets angry at people. I know I'm going to throw this rock at somebody. So I want to give it to you. <laughs> you take it. I don't want it. And he gives it, to, he gives it to him with a letter authenticating and a letter saying that I'm giving it to you. So nobody should say I took it right. you know, without permission. Right. And he has this thing in his house. But he has so many different things in his house. I'm just going to give an example. Of what... Oh, Rabbi. You, you... Oh, there you are. I thought, I thought we lost you for a second. By the way, I, I would argue 
that it is worth the price of the book just to see the picture on page 15 of that stone, frankly. Agreed. Agreed. I agree with you. I want to tell you something. He, this man, I walked with him, me and my wife, went over a little, a little tour of Yushalayim to different neighborhoods that, you know, people don't know. People don't go to these neighborhoods. These are like, but they this and but they that, hidden on the sides of little narrow alleyways. Okay? And he says to me, if you, if, Nachum, she's been there so many times, I actually met with you in Eretz Yisrael, if you remember. Mm-hmm. We met. So, yep. if you go from Strauss, from Bika Cholom Hospital, and you walk down towards Kika Shabbos, right. on Strauss, mm-hmm. on your left side, you see a mosque. Do you remember that? Yes, I sure do. Okay, and after years I wondered, as a bocher, why is there a mosque in the middle of Geula? I always wondered about that. Rabbi Gellis took me there, and he says to me, this mosque is called Nebi Uksha. Okay? Right next to the mosque, there's a, there's a burial place of three of Mohammed's his nephew and of two of his Talmudim. And that is why the street is called Rechov Anavim. It's not after Jewish prophets. It's after right. Mohammed's nephew and his, and his Talmudim. Right. And he said this place, according to the legends, when he, he has the sources, is the place called Karta the Pischel, where Mashiach is going to come from. So there's a mosque there, right in the middle of Geula, which legend has it is the place where Mashiach is going to come from. And that's where the Mekobalim stand, when there's a real Tsar in Eretz Yisrael. And that's where the Iraq war, they got word, word the Iraq war ended over there. Right. They got word. They, it's crazy stuff. And he, he knows it all firsthand. By the way, there are a million angles, and, and you know I could speak to you about this for two, three hours or more. There's so many angles to discuss regarding this man and this book. First of all, I, I honestly, you know, I mean, I know a lot of the players. I know a lot of the people, or have heard of, uh, or, or my father, frankly, knew a lot of the people in this book. I mean, every time you bring up anybody, you know, in the first half of this book, which deals a lot with the Kotel and with Yerushalayim and the old city, et cetera, Meisharim, I mean, you know, I've heard of every one of these personalities. And we've, you know, it was just Yom Yerushalayim. We just told the story of, of Rav Goren and Kevarachal and Rav Goren and the city of Hebron and Marat Pelah. But you know, we never we never know who the who the second wave of people was, and who the secondary expert. You know, we knew that the Nazir and and um, uh, uh, Rav David Cohen and um, knew I forgot already uh, who the other rabbi was that they ran to get to to bring to uh, uh, to the Kotel. The second, you know, the Rav Goren said, "Go bring them now." The second that the uh, that the army had the coat off. But we don't think of, you know, the, the, the next line of great Torah giants that, you know, hours later were at the coat off. And it, it's just funny to me with all these stories and all the things I've been told and the people in my family. My father's buried in Sanhedria because of Ari Levine's bar- buried in Sanhedria. He wanted to be near the man that he watched growing up in, in Yerushalayim. You know, I know Benji Levine really well, but I've never heard of the Gellis family. How is it possible, Rabbi Seltzer, with all these? My father's my father's best friend was, was Yaakov Herzog. It was his best friend in Israel. He's, he's mentioned in the first few pages of your book. It's amazing to me that it took your book for me and, and our family to learn about the incredible Yerushalmim, the, the Gellis family. And by the way, one point before you respond to that. You just mentioned about the mosque, etc. I, I I don't know if it's fair to say this across the board, and you've you've spoken to and you've interviewed and you've written about many people, so you may disagree with me. But it's it's I don't think it's a coincidence that we find somebody who's able to make things happen and someone who's there for the Jewish world and someone who pulls off so incredible episodes for the for the Jewish world, and and they had this. 
uh, its ability to reach out to other peoples. They had this ability to have a relationship uh, at that time with, with Arabs in Yerushalayim, and of course, you know, if you read the book further, with government officials and people who were in Iraq and Jordan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that a coincidence, or is it fair to say that when someone reaches that level, one of the things they've done is forge relationships with people of all backgrounds? You're making a very good point, because you shall meet, first of all, just to respond to what you said before, um, it's interesting that you don't know him because he's a radio personality. Right, that's another thing. He's like he does. He's done what like what you do for many many years. He had one of the most popular radio shows called Malava Malka on Kol Yisrael for many many years. He was like very. He's very famous in Israel, and he's like he's called the man from Jerusalem. Hmm. Uh, it's true. It's like a, it's a chiddush that you that you never cross paths. I, I, I agree with you. Unless I have, and I don't realize. <laughs> but he's like, he, he, another thing is like he, he doesn't make a thing out of himself. He's very unassuming. Right. And that's, so in response to what you said about you shaman have an ability to relate to everyone. And that's, that's a very unique thing that you shall I am have. And when Shach called Abgelis, when he started Yatad Neman, he called him and he asked him to be the original editor, together with Ramosh Aguilar, who's today with Mishbacha magazine. Right. He started with Yated Neman. And Roshach said to him, you're a Yerushalmi, he said, and you're a Heverner. The guys over here are B'nai Brakas and they're Ponovichers. It's not going to be easy for you guys to get along, he said. But I know I could trust Gellis. I know I could trust him. Interesting. And he was Saimachan. He worked there for a number of years. He started off Yated Neman, but he had the Yushami, that Yushami special ability to do to, to connect to every to every person. And and, of, and and what comes to mind as you're saying this, Rav Grossman is from Yushalayim. As you're saying this, Rav, I'm saying to myself, yeah, right, exactly, Rav Grossman. Okay, you, you, we'll see about Rav Grossman. We'll speak. We'll see. <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean by that, but okay. Am I am I not right that he's from Yushalayim? Yeah, he, no, well, he is from Yerushalayim. Yeah. Originally, his family is from Yerushalayim. Right. Well, he's now in Migdal Amos right, for many, many years. Right. right, but he's definitely a Yerushalmi Jew. The Yerushalmi people, they have a special, unique ability. Listen, they need it. They've been going around the world collecting tzedakah for, for you know, generations. Right. They need to have that ability to be able to connect to people. Right. You know, Rabbi Gellis jokes around with me. He said, how, how come the, 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 the lion, which is the symbol of Yerushalayim, you see him with his poor outstretched, he said. <laughs> Because that's the symbol of Jerusalem. <laughs> Very good. I like that. <laughs> Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is with us. The book is called Our Man in Jerusalem. But also a drop further on that, and that is that it, it, the, the ability to to you know have a respectful relationship uh, with people from other countries and people from other backgrounds. Because I'm not just talking about people who go to Chutzlaritz from Yerushalayim and are asking fellow Jews for money. That's not my point. My point is more, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you reach out to others of all backgrounds, of all religious stripes, you know, with, with respect, and you reach out to them, you know, in a proper manner. And some of the stories that you tell in here that are obviously, you know, his true stories are just remarkable, and, and you could trace them, trace most of them, if not all of them, back to this ability to communicate with people properly, no matter where they come from. Yes, no question about it. He, he, but he is a particularly unique individual. Right. He's, I mean, the fact that he was so close to Shlomo Kabach, the fact that he was so close to the Rosh Shivas of Hebron, he right. was so close to just this huge, wide gamut of people, and just everyone loves him. And, all, and all the government officials. 
All the government officials. Government the, officials. I mean, from Teddy Kollek to Shishkin to, to, to everybody. Right, right. He told me, he, it just, I was sitting with him in his house, and he said to me, I have this bottle of wine, he told me, that was from a, from a winery in, in Beis Yisrael, that when they closed it, and they found an underground tank full of, like, wine from 100-something years ago, he told me. And he pulls out this bottle of wine that was, that Trumas and Mike was taken by a small salant, okay? It's 120 years old, this bottle of wine. Right. And we had a L'chaim together with a bottle of wine from 120 years ago. It was the most delicious wine I ever had. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, he, um, he and his family, I mean, to be fair, he and his father, uh, a tremendous knowledge of physical Jerusalem. I mean, there, there's one story you have in here where they were going to do construction in Israel, in Yerushalayim, and, you know, the family knew that there were uh, that there were victims, I assume, from the 1967 war, right? The victims of the 1967 war. The that cholera. Were... It was the p- pandemic. Oh, ma- I'm sorry. I'm confusing stories. We're going. Right. That's 1918, right? That was 1918. Right. Pandemic, and they put people, they buried them inside the, the wells. Right. They're in the cistern, and, cistern. And, and this is literally something we could relate to. That chapter, you should know, really hit home because of the pandemic that we're going through now and, and the inability to you know have proper... Uh, or I shouldn't say proper, the inability to have funerals and burials the way we're used to, let's put it that way. Right. Uh, and, right. and sure enough, same thing there. And this 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 information went ahead and was and was handed down, right? Handed down father to son. And and they knew that this was a uh, that this was a concern that if anybody would ever go ahead and construct or try to destruct that area, there would right. be they had to clean it up. Right. There right. would be bodies that had right. to be taken care of. Which is and un- what about the cave? The cave in Harazes with all the bodies inside. Right. Same. Tons of bodies inside that they put in when they got sick and died. They right. Put them into that cave. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Same situation. And all. And, of, you know, and, when you and, walk in Yerushalayim, Nachum, you, you never dream of what's going on beneath the surface. It's like you see Yerushalayim, right. and then you walk with Rabbi Gellis to Yerushalayim, and it's like it's like a whole different city. Right. And by the way, that's why you know you, you talk about times making the man, men making the times. In this case, is a little bit of the place making the man. It's not just the man. You know, it's also because this, you, like you just described, you walk every block of Yushalayim, old city, new city, everywhere, has something that, you know, it's like they say about baseball games, every time you go, something happens you've never seen before. So <laughs> it's like every time you go through Yushalayim, you know, you, you're, you are seeing or hearing something that you've never, you, you never believe actually happened. Uh, and that really is, you know, it's part of his story. I don't know if our man in Jerusalem would be our man in Jerusalem if not for the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, he probably wouldn't have been our man of Benebrak if he grew up in Benebrak. Right, yeah. very true. Very he grew true. up with Rav Shalom Spadron. Right. I don't know if you saw the pictures of Rav Shalom made, sure. made a shidduch, yeah. dancing with him at this chasana, you know? Yeah, pretty amazing. The Magad of Yerushalayim. Great stuff. He told me when, when after the Six-Day War, so there was a mosque on the border of Meir Sharm and Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, right. and they were blasting every night. They were waking up the neighborhood. So he told me he climbed in one night. He was a bucker. He climbed up to the top, and he changed the, he changed the tape. He took out the Alak potato and put it in a cape of Kalbach. <laughs> the next morning, it comes on Kalbach singing, and the the the, the Muslims thought that, this, that 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 it was haunted, and they closed it. It's locked till today. It's locked because they thought it was haunted by Kalbach. Unbelievable. And by the way, what I mentioned at the beginning, second ones to Kevin Rachel, second ones to the Kotel, etc. All that is true. Those are real stories. Where He's riding down the Via de la Rosa in a command car with his father. And based on the way he looks, I'm sure his father also looked like a rabbi, right? Definitely. He saw the strangle of his father yeah. in the book. Yeah. Unbelievable people. <laughs> but they're unassuming. That's what makes them even more special, that they don't think of themselves as special. 
They're just people who do great things, but they don't make a big deal out of themselves. Our man in Jerusalem, tell us the story about this Sifre Torah in, in Iraq. Oh, that's a crazy story. So he gets he gets the message that there's these these Sefer Torahs, and they had to smuggle them out. The Mossad smuggled these Sefer Torah out of out of uh, Iraq into Jordan. And he's in Jordan on a business deal. He thought to himself to go down to Jordan and make some suits, to make suits for Hasidim in Jordan. And he goes down to Jordan, to the city where there's like a crossroads, where people come from all different Arab countries. And he's there talking, he's, he's making this deal, right? He's, the guy brings him a suit, he says, come back tomorrow, he'll try it on. He comes back the next day, he loves the suit, he wants to close the deal. Then the guy says, I want to show you something. And he shows him a piece of the Torah scroll. It was cut up. And basically, Gela says to Rabbi Saul says to him, I can't believe you would cut up a Sefer Torah. I can't do business with a person who would cut up a Sefer Torah, a person who wouldn't have respect for someone else's religion. Mm-hmm. Again, this is him talking to an Arab, but they say, like a person. Right. How could you do such a thing? I can't do business with a person like that. But from there, they end up tracing 400 Sefer Torah in Iraq that were taken out of shuls and that uh, Saddam Hussein's brother-in-law tried to steal, and the Mossad smuggled them out of Iraq in tires of, of trucks, and they end up coming back to Israel. And Rabbi Gellis takes some of these Sifat Torah and gives them out to different shuls, because they're Iraqi Sifat Torah, to different shuls, a lot of them up north, to the Moshavim that Iraqi Jews live in. And he brings the Sefer Torah to Rabbi Yashiv to check, and Rabbi Yashiv like, he's very, he's just, he, he, to him, he was looking at the halachic. What interested Rabbi Yashiv was the halachic aspect of the Sefer Torah, meaning correlating the differences between how it was written halachically. And he brought to a few different gedolim, and he brought to Rabbi the Sefer Torah. Now, Rabbi comes from Baghdad. So he was overcome. This is his great-grandfather, Sefer Torah. Very emotional. He recognized it. And he says, I need to see the Sefer Torah. And Rabbi Geller says, I can't show them to you. They're in the Mossad, the Shul in Mossad headquarters, in the Kiryat. He says, he grabs his hand. He says, you're not leaving here. You have two <laughs> hands. One hand I'm grabbing. The other hand, you make the phone call right now. Call whoever you need to call, because I'm going to Mossad headquarters. He calls. He makes the call. They get permission. And he tells me, we get in this van, and we drive to, to the Kiryat. We get to the Mossad headquarters. They go into the building in the van. There's an elevator that takes them down into the ground in the van. And they come out at the Mossad Shul. And Ramon Echaliyo is able to look at the Sefer Torah to his, heart, his heart's you know, desire. And he says there are many, many artifacts in Judaica and this shul from many countries around the world, places where Israelis are not allowed to go. And the Mossad you know, brought home beautiful little things all over their trips, and the shul is full of beautiful mementos from the journeys of Mossad agents around many different countries. Amazing. And obviously he was very familiar with people in the Mossad, both from that episode and others. He's familiar with, again, these, these, these people are hooked up with everyone. They, they've been around. They know yeah, everyone. But also you, you, know, have, you have to remember that because of his knowledge of Arabic, he actually ends up being a member of the intelligence department of the IDF, which is, again, strange, strange for someone dressed like him, but certainly helps him in terms of getting to know a lot of important people in those positions. Correct. And uh, what about the fact that he was very close friends with Yasula? Right. Schumacher. Right. I mean, what, what about that? And he gets reunited with him when they're both in the army. They go to the Dumi Luim, and they get reunited together. 
That's pretty like amazing. Like, what are the chances, right? <laughs> That's pretty amazing, I'll tell you. No such thing as coincidence, right? As long as you put in your histadlis. You know, you know, Small Blitz? Yeah, sure. Small Blitz says to me, I got to tell you, Miguel, he reminds me of a, like a from version of Forrest Gump, he says. <laughs> right, very good, very good, yes. <laughs> In the right place at the right time, and innocently everything happens around you. Right. That's what it seems like. Not to take away credit from him, but uh, he does have a little about it, about of that in him, that's for sure. Unbelievable. Um, the Gerareba has a Haggadah that saved his life. Right? Is that the, Would that be the right way of putting it? The Gerareba has, 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 has a Haggadah that saved the soldier's life. The soldier's There's, life, right. The soldier, the, the soldier, the soldier comes to to the home of the Gerarebbe, correct? Right, right. And then this, and then he uses his radio show to make to, to reunite the God the back with the family after the Gerarebbe wants his Agada back. Right. But then he gives it back to the family because that was what was keeping them from. Right. Then there's a story of, um, and again, you have to you remind me how this relates to his family. But there's a story of uh, of those who are uh, traveling, as you described, uh, outside of Israel to raise money. Uh, they are pomegranate growers in Israel, and they happen to bring a pomegranate with them on the road, right? And they, that's his grandfather. That's his grandfather, and he ends up saving the life of the prince of Turkey. Was, am I correct? Get, am I getting this right? You're ha- getting it right. Ha- and the how, tree, the how, picture of the tree is the it is is that was their tree and that the, pomegranate. And he saves his life because there is a Jew in the town in Turkey who knows that the Jewish community has been threatened that if the prince dies, the Jews are going to pay the price for it when the prince gets sick, and he has a dream that leads to him asking these visitors, are you from Yerushalayim, and is there a possibility that you have a pomegranate? Because I I had a dream that if we feed that pomegranate juice to the prince, he will survive, and sure enough, within minutes of giving it to the prince, he was back on his feet. And that's his grandfather. That's his grandfather. (laughs) And what about the fact that his other grandfather comes from Syria to Eretz Yisrael, right. walks into the Chorva, right. and ends up being that famous story where Shmuel Salant says, whoever's willing to marry this girl right. that is the Chassan left, I'll give them a Rikha Siyamim. Right. That's a, his grandfather. Right, a story that honestly I never believed until I saw it in writing in your book. And that was, and he was 14 years old when he came forward. He was forward. 14 years old, and he marries a little girl who's 12 years old. And she, he would come home from learning, and she would be on the floor playing kugelach with her friends. Right. And they would say to her, yeah, your husband just came home. She'd say, one second, I have to finish my turn. Right, right. <laughs> and that was all not to embarrass the Kala who was standing under her chuppah. That's right. He walks off the train, goes to the chorva, Sees what's going on, reaches into his pocket, takes out a few coins, and it says Hariyat because that's just to her, and marries on the spot and raises children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, a huge family in Yerushalayim. By the way, I also owe you, I, I, you know, again, I, I, watch, we'll find out that I actually met Rabbi Gillis at some point. You know, my, my memory is under such scrutiny uh, that I don't know so many stories if I knew them or not. Uh, the story of Rav Moshe Segal, no relation. Uh, is remarkable that he, you know, everyone thought he was the one who blew the chauffeur against the wishes, right. against the, law, the the British mandate law. Unbelievable at the story. Co- at Unbelievable. The, at the hotel, and the reality is they, they, they said do not ask him to blow the chauffeur again because they didn't want him to be embarrassed. Why? Because he really was not a Baltokea, and he simply m- made believe he was the one blowing the chauffeur so that he mm-hmm. can buy time for the guy really blowing the chauffeur on the other side of the hotel, meaning the other area of the hotel, uh, so that he could blow it, you know, longer and then and then run, you know, from the authorities. I never knew that. Right. right. I knew I, so I, many things. I knew that... the name of Moshe Segal for you know for fifty years. I never knew that part of the story. Right. There's 
so many, so many things in this book that people are going to be like, really? Wow. I knew that, but I didn't know that. And it's yeah. like, it's, I look at this as like something which it's information that Kleisel needs. By the we way, need to know all this stuff. By the way, Rabbi Seltzer, we're going to give away the whole book here if I'm not careful. <laughs> I don't want Rabbi Zlotowitz to be upset. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but I'm telling everyone now, if you buy this book, you will find out how notes got into the Kotel when, uh-huh. when when Jews were not allowed to go to the Kotel. That would be the right tease. Say no more. That would Say be, no more. That would be the right tease, right? That would be the right way to tease That's it. That's a great tease. Don't you will, no more. You will find out how notes got into the actual Kotel. I'm talking about in the wall. I'm not talking about near it. How notes got into the wall when Jews were not allowed to go to the wall. And I'll just give you a hint. It's not because they paid somebody off to bring the notes to the Kotel. That's not, that's not what happened. Uh, what can I say, Rabbi Seltzer? It's, it just is a real eye-opener. I mean, you're talking about incredible stories of Hashkacha Pratis, incredible stories of, uh, of being there and doing things for the Jewish world uh, by, again, somebody who I agree with you we can call an understated individual, somebody who keeps most of this, I would think, to himself outside of the sessions he had with you. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer's book is called Our Man in Jerusalem, Amazing Stories from Rabbi Yisrael Gellis, Journalist, radio personality, and 10th generation Yerushalmi. By the way, does it make your life a lot easier when dealing with a great storyteller? In other words, you know, your writing is, is, you know, world-renowned. But when you're hearing the stories from someone who tells it well, and I get the feeling that he is a great storyteller, does it make your life a lot easier? Much easier, of course. He knows how to say the story. He puts it down. I'm doing a book, I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing just now, right now, writing another project with somebody who's also a fantastic uh, storyteller, and it definitely, it's like, it just, it, it, yeah, 100% makes my life much, much easier, because they know how to, they say the story in the order, they know what they want, the points they want to make, yeah, you, you, Malcolm, you're familiar with uh, Arucheva, right? Sure. Oh, I love that. I want to, you know why I love that story right away? <laughs> There's a story, folks, where Arucheva, which of course was on a, a boat in the ocean, and, and they actually shuttled people by tugboat out or by rowboat, whatever it was, out to the, uh, to the main place to do their shows. That's where, how it started. And, um, and when he tells the story of falling in the water because of, you know, the, the attempt to get out there. And, and it reminded me not only of the show Must Go On, but it reminded me of the days when I would sleep during blizzards in the radio station to make sure to be on the air at 6 a.m. when everybody else couldn't move in New York and New Jersey. That's, that was one of the stories I absolutely could relate to and loved in the world of radio. <laughs> You know what? I want him to be on your show. I'd love you it. Have him on your show. I'd love it. I gotta meet him. I gotta meet him. I gotta have dinner with him. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, speaks Hebrew only. Well, in Arabic, I gotta brush up on my Arabic, I guess. Well, you gotta brush up. But he doesn't speak English. Would you have a guy on your show who only speaks Hebrew? I doubt it. But maybe we could do something, uh, you know, outside of this show and do a special that we would, uh, you know, make available to people. That would be amazing. But that would be very special that, because the, the I best, think you you would hit it off with him. Big the, time. the best way to well, I'm telling you, just going through the people. You know, like he talks about River Fall. I mean, River Fall and my father were so close. And, you know, I, I mean, there's there, and when he just when he mentioned Yaakov Herzog, who, again, one of the most understated um, people who had something to do with Israeli government in Israel's history, uh, who, who, frankly, you know, if he wouldn't have died so young, could have been, you know, prime minister of Israel and would have been an incredible prime minister. Uh, just, mm-hmm. just when he mentions him, you know, it's so meaningful to me because of the stories I've heard from my father about personalities like mm-hmm. this. Um, so yes, not only would I, I'd love to meet him, and I think if we do a conversation like that, it should be in person, hopefully in Israel soon, because as you know, 
travel to Israel now is a little bit uh, dicey, as they say. It's so tricky, yeah. Uh, Rabbi Seltzer, before I let you go, and I know I've taken a lot of your time, um, I I need to know, because I I discussed this, of course, with the Gertzlins when they were on the air. You know, for me... For me, one of the reasons, or, or a couple of the reasons why the book about Rebbitz and Youngrice was so meaningful is because, um, number one, because I had sisters, uh, but I think it would be like that for families without girls as well. There wasn't a Friday night in my home growing up where Rebbitz and Youngrice's name was not mentioned because of something she had written or done uh, around the time of, of the Felt Forum, Madison Square Garden, around that time. I mean, you know, it was like, you know. It was the. It was like everyone today speaking about the upcoming Shas. You know, for three months, do you have tickets? Do you decide if you're sitting inside or outside? You know, in that era, it was all you know. What's Robertson Young guys doing? And you know, so I, I again, I don't know how old you are, so I may not have had that. I'm for, I, my birthday today, Nachum. I'm 42. Mazel Tov, <laughs> happy birthday! So, Thank so, you. so it may be a little different for you. So I'm curious. You know, so when I heard about this book, meaning the Robertson Young guys book. To me, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read all this, and this is what happened, and it took me back to that era. Oh, here, you know, when I was eight years old, here's what was really happening, you know, behind the scenes with the Rebbitz and Younggrises. I was hearing all this at my Shabbos table. For you, was it impactful like that? Did you have a youth where her name meant something? So, first of all, in my family, we had the Jewish press every single week in my house, and my mother read the Rebbitz's viewpoint also. That's number one, and uh, I definitely grew up hearing the name Rebbitz Younggrises. I don't think I ever met her. Like, I didn't, I, it could be as a child, but I don't think I've met her. I came to know her very, very, very well through all the interviews and through all the books and through all the videos and watching her speak. Um, and, and you mentioned the Fell Forum, and to me, something that when throughout the interviewing process, I kept on asking people in America, how did she become close to George W. Bush? Right. But something that kept on, it was one of these questions I had. How? And finally, I meet a person in Manhattan who tells me the whole story of how she ended up meeting the president. And that led to, if you think about it, closure to the Felt Forum event because President Bush asked the Revitan to give the invocation at the Republican National Convention. Right! And she oh stands my up, gosh. but not at the Felt Forum, at, at the, the garden. Huge, the huge sit. Right. And she gives the invocation and she gets a standing ovation. Right. Can you imagine how she was feeling when she got up and she did that in front of the whole America? It was like, in 73, she's doing this. 73, she's speaking to 5,000 people. And now, you know, many, number, many, many years later, she's speaking to the whole world, basically. What a, what a moment in her life. Unbelievable. And if you re- I love your description of what it was like getting from zero to 5,000 for that event, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't know how she slept at night during those couple of weeks. <laughs> she was scared. Let me tell I know. You. I know. was more scared. Kayasara was, was, was very afraid. And she used to tell her mother, Mommy, but what if nobody comes? Wow. Listen, uh, you, you've you've given me a lot of uh, tremendous information and enjoyment over the last couple of months. I got to tell you, uh, it's it's unbelievable to me that you're churning out books at the rate of uh, thirty five already in your young life. Pretty amazing, frankly. Uh, what are you wor- what are you working on right now? Oh boy, we got a bunch of things. We got a lineup going on right this second. I'm actually writing a book with. There's a journalist in Israel. He's the veteran. He is the veteran journalist. He's the man who accompanied. Ten prime ministers, from Levi Eshkol to Bibi Netanyahu, very close to Bibi. They grew up together in Katamon. His name is Yisrael Katzover, sure. and he writes for Hamodia, Eight to sure. Air. Yep. And I'm writing a book with him. It's, it's a, unbelievable. This is a man that, that he literally 
accompanied every big event in Israeli history. He was in the White House. I'll tell you one story. This is going to blow your mind. Blow your mind. He says to me, he goes, as you know, the first, the first uh, uh, foreign leader that Trump invited to the White House was Bibi Netanyahu. Right. President Trump. Mm-hmm. And Bibi comes. Now, you know, Bibi had a, a terrible eight years with Obama. Terrible. Right. right. And here he's invited. The first leader is Bibi. Now, that's, that's a great start. So they get off the plane and they, 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 they you know, the vans come and they take them to, uh, to the White House. And the beginning of the journalists are standing there, and, and afterwards, uh, Trump and Bibi go into the room together for the meeting. And it's a meeting that goes off about an hour and a half. It's a nice long meeting. And when he comes out, Bibi is smiling from ear to ear. Now, a little later, they, he, he briefs the, 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 the journalists. He saw Kassel was among them. And he says, I'm sitting with, with President Trump. And he says to me, Bibi, I know about your relationship with Barack Obama. But my question is, where did it start? How, how did it start, this relationship that you had, this, bad, this like acrimonious relationship? Where did it start? I know what happened, but where did it, what was the, the moment where it started? So Bibi says, I'll tell you. There was, he, we, we, we did a lot of business together. Barack Obama gave Israel a lot of things. Security-wise, he was pretty good. But there were two things we asked for, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't give us. And Trump says, what were they? And Bibi says, one was a plane that would allow us to refuel long distance in mid-air. So Trump's like, ah, like you want to get to a faraway country. You need that plane, right? And Bibi laughs. And he says, what's the second thing? And Bibi says, these are great bombs. These bombs that they, they, they go down deep, deep into the earth, bunker buses, like the next generation of bunker buses. And we need those. And Barack wouldn't give it to us. So Trump says to Bibi, I don't understand. Why didn't you ask someone else in the American administration for them? Like, keep in mind, he just became president. Right. Maybe he doesn't know exactly right. how right. it works. Right. Right. And Bibi says, because the only person who has the ability to give it is the president. And then Trump says, you mean I have the ability to give it? And Bibi says, yes. And Trump jumps out of the chair, runs over to his desk, takes a piece of paper, writes on the piece of paper, blah, 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 gives this BB, blah, 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 and he signs Donald J. Trump. Here you go. Pretty remarkable. BB walks out smiling from me here because he understands that after eight years, they have a real friend in the White House. Right. Pretty amazing. Is it a biography of Katzover or what? How would you it's, classify it's, it? It's like imagine a person who, who, who was in the Yom Kippur War. As, a, as a, 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 a journalist, and he was there, and he almost got killed in the Yom Kippur War right. down south. Correct. And imagine somebody who, who, was, who, who uh, went to Turkey, and he told me he met, I don't know if you know this, but they, uh, uh, in Turkey they believe Erdogan. There's a question, why did Erdogan change his, his colors? He used to be a friend of Israel. Right. What happened? Right. Some say in Turkey that Erdogan and his wife, they believe that he's a Shatsai Tzvi Jew. They follow Shatsai Tzvi's traditions, him and his wife. And that's why Turkey, he had to prove he's not that. So he turned against Israel. And, and, and Katzover went to one of those shuls. He met with the people who practiced. And there are 50,000 Jews today, not Jews, people today, who follow the Shafzai Tzvi's um, derech. Very interesting. I mean, this is just a tiny, right. tiny taste. The book is called The Journalist. I'm working on it now. I'm in it. And it's an unbelievable book. He touches on, 50, think about 50, over 50 years of every important event. And he's there. The, the, jur- 
He's there. The journalist. We look forward to that. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, the book is called Our Man in Jerusalem, Amazing Stories from Rabbi Yisrael Gellis, journalist, radio personality, and 10th generation Yerushalmi. What might be most remarkable, by the way, he did all of this, was in conversation with foreign leaders and people and connections and without knowing English, which you just revealed, which is also pretty cool when you think about it. Uh, yep. Our Man in Jerusalem, available now. Go to artscroll.com. Again, artscroll.com. It's a Shar press release. Also, I will mention, because it is uh, proper to do so, that Rabbi Seltzer is also responsible for the Rebitzin, the story of Rebitzin Esther Jungreis, her life, her vision, her legacy. Check it out. Plus, he's got tens of other books that you may want to check out. Go to artscroll.com, artscroll.com, and have a party, everybody. I'm telling you, you will learn a lot, and you will um, experience some incredible stories of modern Jewish history with both of these selections. Rabbi Seltzer, always a pleasure. Mazel tov on the release. Uh, please, tell Rabbi, t- please tell Rabbi Gellis we are more than impressed. <laughs> and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. A always a pleasure to be on, on, you know, on your show. It's always good to be back. I appreciate that. Rabbi Ahmed Seltzer, everybody. The book is Our Man in Jerusalem, artscroll.com. You're listening to JM in the AM.